This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What is going on, guys? Back here for another Foul Front podcast episode with my co-host, per usual, Thomas. I'm Matt, and... uh we are right on the cusp of a huge migration is what everyone's been saying so we've had the calm before the storm right now oh yeah yeah you're supposed to be getting like a blizzard up your way aren't you thomas yeah from what everybody's been saying up here it might be my first actual blizzard i actually um showed someone a video of i was like yeah this is the heaviest snow i've ever been in before and i showed them a video of and they're like Oh, okay. So yeah, you've never actually been in a real snowstorm before. I was like, I thought that was a real snowstorm. <laughs> so yeah, tomorrow is going to be uh, snowing and 25 mile an hour winds. So it should be interesting. Oh my gosh. I'm so jealous. I absolutely love snow hunts, especially on small water. If you find a sheltered place out, you know, you want to be on the north side. So the wind's at your back and the ducks just dump in, particularly greenheads. That Oh my, that is probably one of my all-time favorite hunts. Like, I would take a snow hunt over any timber hunt. Granted, I've only yeah. gone on a handful of not actual timber hunts, but snow hunts are probably my top. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you're on a snow hunt and, you know, just small water that's open, that's just lights out in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's just, there's a different feel about a snow hunt. It's it's not really any different than hunting in the rain in terms of, you know, it seems the precipitation just seems to move the birds around more, but I would so much rather hunt in the snow than the rain. I mean, I guess you get a little bit wetter in the rain quicker, um, but there's just, there's just something special about snow. It just makes it feel more like a duck hunt. Exactly. And one, uh, you know, another thing I really like about it and it doesn't even have to have a wind. You know, sometimes you get those calm snows where it's it's snowing heavily, but there might be just a light breeze or something with it. But it just kills all the other sounds. Like, mm-hmm. there's not a wind. So it's, it's, it's just like, it's just you and the birds out there. And 
you know nothing else is around like it just it just knocks all the other sounds around and then you know hopefully it's busted by a goose honk or a mallergy or something but it's just yeah it's, it's a whole different type of experience absolutely have you ever uh, done a kayak hunting in the snow before uh i mean i've that's a good question i think maybe once i've taken it out it wasn't like a heavy snow it was maybe just flurries or something i mean i've hunted in sub-freezing conditions with my kayak before i've done that but i don't i don't know if i've ever taken it in a uh, actual no i guess one time in the sand hills devin and i did years and years ago we, we had a long drive like usually you know it's an hour and a half drive or so depending where we go and this took like double that and we got out and then we had to kayak in the snow and then it let up but that would probably be about the only other time i could think of yeah i'm in the yeah. i'm in the same boat i think probably you and i have sort of the same thing and when it's snowing it's like oh well we don't need to get to those hard to get to spots with the kayak because there's probably gonna be birds flying everywhere so just go somewhere you can walk in and walk out and don't have to deal with being on the water and sub freezing conditions but i think tomorrow i'm gonna try my first uh first kayak hunt in a blizzard so that should be uh should be quite the interesting adventure well that's a that's a good segue and uh for the topic tonight, we're, we decided we're going to do uh, some late season hunting tips. So we'll talk about snow hunting, ice hunting, you know, cold weather hunting, and we'll cover all that. I did have, uh, you know, a couple of things we wanted to uh, <laughs> talk about first. Uh, so I guess I'll just start. And this is just a little PSA for everyone out there. If a gadwall has an orange bill, that does not necessarily make it a hand gadwall. Okay. I've seen this comment. I've seen this post. They're not factually correct, okay? Drake Gadwall can also have orangish bills. That's, I'm not, I don't want to rant too much on that, but I've had this comment on YouTube multiple times in the past couple weeks, and it's look at the chest pattern, look at the speculum, and the bill, okay? Don't just rely. If it has an orange bill, it doesn't make it a Drake or a hint. So, see, Matt, this is well i don't really have much to add to that i mean you, you're right but um if you had just stuck to your guns and not shown any gadwall this year this wouldn't be a problem so as I much as yeah. as yeah as much as these people who are i guess getting on your goat or getting your goat are probably incorrect factually i think the blame still falls on you well in my defense everyone said it's like a record year for gadwall so it's like that's, I told you that before the season. I know, I know, and then the, I'm pretty sure the duck report reflected that it was one of like one of two species I think that went up or stayed fairly static. Yeah, but I think they went down, but I think you're right. They they, they they didn't have as much of a drop as other species. I want to okay, say. Well, I've I've seen more gadwall than I've ever seen this year, which I mean I'm sending them south. I'm trying not to shoot them for the southern guys down there. You know they can have them. <laughs> Or Oklahoma, Texas, you guys on the Skeeter Pond, you guys can have Adam. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I will agree with that. I, when I was out in North Dakota, I saw more. It was weird. Like the only species, like 
don't know how to say this exactly. There were the only potholes where you would just see one species were potholes with gad walls in them. Like you would ride by some potholes and it would just be like two, three, four hundred gad walls on it. Every other pothole, you know, if there was ducks on it, it was always a mix. But there's just some potholes where it was just exclusively gad walls and it would just be stacked with gad walls. So that was really interesting to see. See, that's exactly how it is, uh, you know, in areas that I've hunted especially in the sand hills um you find select ponds because gadwall eat that green sludge at least around here they really like eating that green sludge that grows in uh, you know backwater wetland marshy type areas and uh it grows in specific areas and if you walk through that stuff that mud is just you know really really loaded with like nutrients because it just sits there and it doesn't really decay too much from what i understand it's kind of like a anaerobic environment or something like that but it just smells like sulfur and that's what that green stuff if you pick it up and you smell it it kind of has a sulfur smell so if i had to guess why people call them gag walls and this isn't a new thing this term has been around for years like the old timers called them gag walls i'm not just making it up gag gag walls are not the best eating but uh yeah it's because if in my you know they, they eat that sludge, at least in my area. Some areas, you know, I've heard people say, oh, I like eating gadwell. You know, they eat corn or whatever or something else. But where they can find that green sludge on those ponds, <laughs> they're not going to taste as well. So what stage is the migration in down there right now? Like, do you still have a lot of gadwalls and widgeon and pintails around? Or is it starting to transition to mainly mallards? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a few... I haven't seen a ton of widgeon this year, you know, um, gadwall. I think most of those moved through, uh, last weekend though, we had a blue wing teal come in the decoys. So, I mean, the migration is all kinds of screwed up. I seen the first flock of snow geese last weekend and, uh, we, we saw some cranes, which I'd seen a few flocks of cranes the past three or four weeks, but now there seems to be more and even some speckle bellies. So it, it it seems like the migration was delayed a few weeks this year, but uh, it's catching up in a big way this weekend, I believe. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I can agree on the blue wings. Like I, uh, I was asking around before season up here in Minnesota, how late DLC blue wings ever was like, eh, second, third week in October. And I shot one about a week ago now. So like first week in November, which I thought was absolutely crazy. Like, I think Elliot said he's hardly ever shot him in Kansas past November. So I thought it was pretty wild that there was still some up here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'd be okay if, if we had some that wanted to stick around, particularly Drake's. I'd love to get a, you know, a nice crescent Drake for the wall, but they, uh, they're, they booked it south for the most part, I think. Yeah. Do y'all have many green wings yet? Yeah, we, we hold green wings like almost year round. Like they nest in the sand hills somewhat. You know, you know, a lot of them will push down. But and a lot of people don't realize this, I don't think, is green wings will stick around. They're not like their blue wing counterparts that mm-hmm. are, you know, scared of the cold. Green wings are hardy little ducks. I'll you know there'll be a lot of times late season you'll shoot your mallards and then bonus green wing. Like that's or you'll get three green wings and three mallards or something. It's you know, they're, they're around pretty thick with the mallards once it's like everything else is froze up. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm actually I'm thinking tomorrow could be a green wing shoot up here. The spot that I'm going to a week ago, it was loaded with green wings. So especially with that, <laughs> especially since the blizzard's probably going to intensify as the day goes on. If I have teal in the decoys, they are not getting a free pass tomorrow. No, no. I mean, and I've passed on teal, but it's like, why? They're one of the best eating ducks. And, you know, green wings particularly are just really cool looking. I mean, I've said before they're my favorite duck, but they're just they're just such a cool little duck, and they decoy readily, and like you can shoot six in one volley if you shoot good, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, should we get into the late season tips? Yeah, yeah. You want to kick it off, or should I? Mm, I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, you go ahead. I'm. Kind of okay. struggling to think of anything right right off the top of my head. We didn't do much preparing. We just kind of hopped on here and said, what do we want to talk about? Yeah, that's all right. So I guess, you know, late first late season tip is uh you're gonna you're gonna be dealing with cold weather and there's a lot of different things that can go into that. Uh, number one, safety. You want to, you know, dress in layers, all that basic stuff. Um don't ever trust ice all ice is unsafe ice now you can carry a spud bar you can check it and stuff but don't ever just assume that ice is safe just because it's been super cold i mean there's all kinds of different stuff there could be pressure ridges there could be current underneath um and i've busted through ice you know i've (laughs) i've learned that lesson myself but you know just always always be super careful when you're hunting around ice and then going into that you know hunting on ice is you know ice holes can be very very uh good hunting you can make an ice hole you know an axe chainsaw whatever people get those ice eaters um those can be really good one thing that i would recommend if you're gonna do that is you know a rake if it's like skim ice or even if it's bigger ice and you have chunks floating that can really help because you don't want on a sunny day particularly you don't want those rough edges you want it to be kind of smoothed out so the better, the more natural looking a hole, the better. And a rake will help you get that skim ice. Like you don't want to take skim ice and chuck it across, you know, the, the surface of the lake. It's better to, if it's thicker ice, bust it out into big chunks and slide it under. That's what I like to do. Um, and then try to make it as rounded as possible. And if you can bust it out and then it's supposed to warm up the next couple of days, that'll just kind of melt naturally on its own. But try to try to avoid the sharp edges looks and try to avoid like, a lot of broken ice sometimes uh you know it's unavoidable but it it does help yep yeah one area that i try to focus on in particular i think you do too um when you have cold weather set again and actually i'm thinking that tomorrow could be the last time of the season up here but i might be able to get another one in maybe friday or saturday we're just supposed to have lows below freezing for the like the next two weeks so it's just going to ice up super quickly but one area i try to focus on is and situations like that is lake inflows creek inflows or stuff like that Um, especially a creek inflow into a lake uh, that seems to be the area that'll stay open the longest and you know busting an ice hole is a super effective tactic but if you can find a natural ice hole typically that's even better so that would be uh, one area I really try to focus on Um, and also like Matt has in his area if you can find uh, spring inflows into a creek Um, or into any sort of water body a spring inflow will typically keep some sort of area open so those are two good kind of areas to scout for when you're starting to go into a freeze up 
Yeah, the, the naturally occurring ones are, like you said, obviously going to be the best because it's going to look, you know, it's going to look the best and the birds are going to know it's there already. Um, so, yeah, like, like we, you know, we got those heated sloughs out here, which are just killer late season, especially in a snowstorm or something. Um, always, yeah, always look for those. Those are the best things to scout. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous of y'all because we have very similar stuff in Western Virginia, not West Virginia, but Western Virginia, um, actually in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So like incredibly scenic, these little creeks that run in, in the valleys between the mountains, and a lot of them are spring influence, so they stay open. And there's just not enough ducks out there for the ducks to get on them. And the ducks don't field feed out there because, like, there's really not a lot of food in those type of areas. So most of the time when the birds are using those areas, from my understanding, especially out west, they're using them as a roost and a loaf. And then they're feeding out in fields. Um, But because our ducks don't really do that on the east coast, we don't see a lot of that, unfortunately. But there are a lot of really, really cool cricks that would, uh, would be awesome if we had the bird numbers for it in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Virginia is not in the best flyway for sure. Um, one other, no. okay. So another another thing for late season hunting here, and it would be scouting, and in particular, what I mean, if you can, is patterning your bird um, based on temperatures. Particularly, there's days, especially when it's really cold, if you know where the roost is, mallards, geese, whatever. They might not. They might only go out and feed once a day, and they might sit on the roost until one or two o'clock in the afternoon. There's been days we've been sitting. You know, we'll we'll sit out in the morning, see a handful if any birds, and then you drive by and you scout the roost in the afternoon. They're still sitting there. They never went out, and they'll go out in the afternoon. So you want to pattern those birds so you're not just sitting there looking at empty skies. And you know, if if they are going out in the afternoon like that. You could sleep in, you know, go out at noon or something. There's been times we've done that, and we've had great success on afternoon hunts. So pattern those birds. Um, and, Thomas, you could probably, you know, add a little bit more to this with your biology background for waterfowl. But when it's cold, you know, how often they feed and what exactly they're searching out. Obviously, around here, Nebraska, corn, <laughs> they're going to hit corn um, when it gets super cold. But uh, there's there, it seems like... I want to say zero. If it, if the lows around zero or so, they will sleep in, so to speak, a little more. Yeah, from the guys I've talked to, I didn't really learn about this or research it all in school. Um, but from the guys I've just talked to, asking about this because I've never really hunted these sort of conditions, especially uh, growing up in Virginia. We just we just didn't have the weather for it. But from I've just asked questions trying to learn more about it because I figure I'll probably see some sort of that some of that stuff this season. And what most people have said is around 20 degrees is where they start to see the real change where there's a later and later flight. And in general, when you're talking about that one, two o'clock time period, the birds are just waiting for the warmest time of the day to go feed, especially if there's snow on the ground. Um it's really actually interesting to see with geese. I've watched geese do it a couple of times, but when there's snow on the ground, they fly out to the field, they sit down immediately and they melt that snow. They use their body heat to melt the snow under them. And then they eat that spot and move over, melt another spot of snow, eat there. So they're just trying to basically use the least amount of energy by having the highest temperatures. Um, so they don't have to basically expend more of their body heat melting that snow. So I think that's the, that's the real reason that they do those later flights on cold days. 
And so actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually try to imitate that. You know, I don't field hunt a ton, but when I do and there's snow on the ground, I'll take full bodies without stakes. Some of them, some of them I still put up on stakes for motion and whatnot, but I'll put them down on the ground. So to try to imitate that, you know, like it's an actual goose there melting a spot to eat. Yep. Yeah, and that's why shells are so effective late season too. Shells on ice are obviously really effective because birds tend to sleep on ice shelves a lot, but then also shells are really effective in fields because they kind of emulate that bird that's laying on the ground trying to melt some snow. Yeah, sleeper shells and ice are just a great combination. I mean, it's really hard to beat, honestly. It just looks so so natural to them. Yeah. But going off that, I guess we're kind of talking about late season and decoy spreads now. Um, When it's late season and it's mainly geese and mallards around in the area, at least where I'm hunting, you know, I'll throw out more of a goose spread. I'll throw out Mm -hmm. two dozen goose floaters and maybe a half dozen mallards, mix them in, goose full bodies, goose shells, mainly goose floaters if I can find open water. And ducks just love that spread. I mean, it just looks so natural. The goose decoys, they're bigger, they stick out. And they're just, they act as like a natural confidence decoy for the ducks. So if you've got mallards and Canada geese in your in your area late season, try a mixed spread, maybe go heavier on the Canada's. Yeah, actually my favorite late season spread for like, especially January is to throw out every Canada goose decoy I have, and I'll throw out one or two pairs of mallards. And the reason I do that is because in January, most of your mallards are paired up and they don't want to go into an area where there's a bunch of other mallard drakes and have to compete because they're, whenever they're around other mallard drakes, there is always a chance that for some reason they're going to get split up and their hen's going to go off with another drake. So um, if you can throw out a spread that mimics just kind of a couple pairs, just hanging out with some geese, a really chill um, area where they're not going to have to compete with other ducks for breeding or for food, uh, that's um, kind of my favorite setup for late season birds. It just seems like especially those paired up birds are going to love that. You might not have the best luck with single drakes, but if you got a lot of paired up birds in your area, especially in January, it seems like that's a really, really effective spread. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And one thing to keep in mind with late season hunting is these birds have been through the ringer. They've seen it all. They've heard it all. There's probably not a lot that you can do that they haven't seen yet. Um, So what I like to do late season is I'll hit the whistle harder in ducks, you know, for mallards, obviously. I'll hit drake whistles more often. I won't run spinners and you know, you really want to focus on your hide. High, I mean, you should always be focusing on your hide and try to have the best hide you can for whatever situation you're hunting in. But late season, it matters that much more. You don't want the sparkle of a gun. You don't want, like, you don't want anything looking out of place because these birds are very well educated at this point in the season. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, oh, shoot. I had something I was going to say. I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> uh what is uh what's your favorite kind of area to hunt for late season would you rather hunt a creek a big lake that you bust an ice hole in would you rather hunt a field what's your go-to well we can scratch out fields i'm not i mean i've been on some field hunts and they're they're fun yeah you know it's called water fouling so i like to be in the water and i know that's probably some north dakota guys probably gonna hear that and be like yeah you know, get all angry because I guess they don't <laughs> like hunting water or something. But uh, <laughs> no, you know, I 
heated slew is hard to beat. If you can find a heated slew late season, those naturally occurring ice holes, um, those those are probably my favorite. You know, busting an ice hole, it's hit or miss. You know, I've definitely I've busted ice holes out, worked my butt off, put a nice spread, and had a handful of birds fly over, and they weren't interested. So, uh, you know, if you can uh, find those natural occurring areas, the birds kind of key in on those a little more. Yeah. I'd have to say mine would probably be, this is probably going to maybe rub a couple people the wrong way. I'd say my favorite is doing a kayak jump shoot super late season on flowing water when everything is pushed to the flowing water, just because you get a style of hunting that you don't, can't get any other time of the year. Like even when I do jump shoots in September and October, um, those birds are a little bit wary and they don't have to stick to any particular area. They really have freedom to go wherever they want. They typically are in an area cause their food source is there, but they're not stuck to that area. So like when we get freezing conditions in Virginia for a couple of days, the birds are forced to the small creeks and small rivers and then you can float down in a kayak and get super close jump shooting action because even when they see you coming they don't want to waste the energy to fly so they'll kind of swim up into the cover and then it's almost like it's almost like upland hunting honestly it's almost like you see a see a pheasant you see or you know see quail kind of push them into cover and then go over and flush them out like that's probably closer to what it is than um than traditional waterfowling but the reason i like that over hunting over decoys on that sort of area is number one at least in virginia the birds don't really fly when they're on the creeks and rivers in super cold weather they're just going to swim to their different food sources they almost never fly they might fly for the first five ten minutes in the morning and then they just sit on the water all day long and then also you know it's you can decoy birds all all times a year, but like I said, to get that really close jump shooting action in freezing conditions, that only ever happens during the ice up. So uh, that's kind of my reasoning for why I try to target that style of hunting when we get super cold weather, especially in Virginia. Yeah. So I guess I, I do want to, I know we kind of maybe briefly touched on this, but it, it is uh, very important to reiterate and, late season hunting especially when you're hunting cold freezing temps or blizzard conditions like thomas probably will be tomorrow safety is so important and some of this stuff you know the, there's there's always the basic safety but just like getting to your spot if you're hunt if you're driving out in snowy weather or something don't just leave yourself in you know your typical hour or whatever half hour drive give yourself extra times because you probably don't want to drive the speed limit you know, if it's really bad weather conditions, there's times, you know, it's taken me two or three hours to get to a spot that's 30 minutes away. And because it was just snowing and road conditions were that poor, um, you know, give yourself extra time. So you're not rushing. Um, and then, yeah, you know, make it to the blind there and back safely. That's the number one important thing. And then once you get there, um, like if you're kayaking out in a snowstorm, for instance, or high winds, Try to hug, you know, the upwind side or the side yeah, that's protected upwind. by the wind. Up, yeah, upwind side. Try to try to hug the side that's, you know, where there's not going to be as much waves or hopefully no waves if you can. Um, and always carry a dry bag. Carry a dry bag with extra clothes, maybe a lighter, um, hand warmers. Because if you're kayaking out in late season conditions, all it takes is one rogue wave, one random tip, one fall 
and you could be looking at hypothermia. So, you know, you, you got to be really, really careful with how, how you approach late season hunting, especially in icy um, and freezing conditions, because a lot can go wrong very quickly. Yeah. And I'm probably not one to talk on this because like even my next video that'll be coming out, I'm paddling back from my morning hunt with no life jacket on and it's still like 30 degrees. But anytime I'm paddle, I'm hunting in freezing, near freezing or freezing conditions and I'm paddling before light, I always have my life jacket on just because you never know what you're going to come up on in the dark. Like at least when it's light out, you can see if there's any ob obstacles under the water, but there's been at least a handful of times where i've been paddling in the dark and i hit a log or something and almost flipped just because i hit that log going pretty quickly trying to get to a spot so um life jacket is absolutely vital because if you're if it's water if it's 33 degree water and you hit that you might be the best swimmer ever but as soon as you hit that water your body is going into shock immediately and your muscles are going to tense up so you have to have your life jacket on just to save you from that first 10 or 15 seconds where your body's just trying to kind of get out of that shock period. Um, and we talked about this, I think in the last podcast when I filled up my waders in Texas, but if I had, you know, stepped off a drop off instead of just kind of barely filling up my waders, I'd have been in real trouble there. Cause as soon as that water hit my, came over the waders and started filling them up, I was just, my whole body just tensed up and I was lucky. I didn't have to swim in that scenario and I was still standing on my feet. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Kind of going off of that too is about equipment. Um, one thing you really want to do is uh, I'm going to put, I'm going to put this, uh, this on blast a little bit here, but do not use rim oil. If you're hunting freezing temps, <laughs> gels up and you will not be able to fire your gun. And you can ask me how I know this because I was that idiot years ago. <laughs> so, yep, same do here. Not, I do not recommend rim oil. There's other options out there. Personally, I use G96. Uh, it works works great in my gun. And you don't need a lot either. Some guys I know, they say run it dry in super cold weather. That Yeah, that's what I was about to say. And if I know I'm going into cold weather, like tomorrow, I'll probably run my gun almost completely dry i might throw one drop on the ejection on the um what's that piece called basically i'm gonna throw one a couple uh drops just on the parts that i absolutely have to have moving but besides that i'm not gonna throw any more oil on it than i have to yeah i know I've ha there's a hunt i did back when i was using my 12 gauge for ducks still and it, it had back when I was using my 12 gauge for ducks still, Ugh, you sub gauge purists. <laughs> Anyways. So I, I had, uh, I had, a, you know, I, I had a pretty good day, but it got kept getting colder. Like it was warmer in the morning and then it just started getting colder and colder. And once my gun cooled down, that oil in it also cooled down and gelled up the firing pin. So like, there'd just be just a very light primer strike, not even enough to get the shell to go off. And I was just, oh, I was so frustrated. I tore my gun apart out in the marsh and I was wiping everything down with my shirt, trying to, you know, get get it so it would at least fire. And I finally did. Is there <laughs> a like, There's a video of this, isn't there? I, re I vividly yeah. remember watching this video and you're like, yes. you're as angry as I've ever seen you. Like you're was, a very cool and cool calm collected guy and you were like right on the edge of snapping 
I was not happy that day. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we got it to work. And then once I shot my limit, I was like, oh my gosh, thank God. Thank goodness that is over. <laughs> yeah, do, do not use rim oil. If you have it and you hunt Florida or something, great. You know, don't worry. You don't have to worry about it. But if you hunt sub freezing conditions, you're going to want to uh, wipe your gun down and try something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one. I definitely would have forgot to mention that. Well, we can keep we this talk, one. We could talk a little bit about more weather conditions here, Thomas, because it, it does vary. Um, you know, overcast and calm days are going to be a lot tougher late season because it's those pressure birds, because they're, they're, they don't really have to come in um you know if it's a calmer day they can just circle and circle and circle until they find something they don't like and buzz off um so that's when you want your spread to be absolutely immaculate on the on the uh the best days to hunt are disturbance days what i mean by that are when cold fronts come through and it kind of bucks you know you'll like nebraska we get this we call it the january thaw it'll be like 60 degrees for a week or something here comes another cold front brings high winds and sometimes it'll bring snow sometimes it won't but just that disturbance, that wind will be enough to kind of get even the stale birds kind of mixed up. And then you can start decoying them again, at least on that day, maybe the day after. Yeah. Um, other, you know, other, other days to look at fog, it can be calm, but fog, I've had great success on mallards and fog. And th- mm-hmm. those are some of the coolest hunts where you don't even, you don't even know they're there until they're right there. Like they just show up and, this is this is where scouting come is important. You know, you want to be in a flight line in a fog because either they're going to sit there or they'll fly, but they already know where they're going. So you want to be between where they are and where they're going on a fog day. So I got a question for you, and what is not a great question. So we'll d- dive into this more right after. But would you rather hunt a sunny day where you have a bad hide and a really good decoy spread? Like either you got wind motion or you got really good water motion from the motion ducks or pulsators or stuff like that. Or would you rather hunt an overcast day where you have a great hide, but you're sitting over a sheet of glass, no motion in your spread? I'd probably take the, uh, the sunny day because even with a less than adequate hide, you can use the shadow. You can find something to shadow yourself in and break your form up. And if you've got wind and sun, I mean, that's that's a mallard, late season mallard killing day. Those are like yep. some great days. I mean, I love my snow hunts, but sun and wind, especially cold, that, that's a great recipe for mallards. Yeah. So... I want to touch on the snow thing real quick. Let's touch on the snow thing and then we'll jump back to that question. Um, For snow hunting, do you think hide is really important? Because like what that question, what I was kind of trying to get at with that question is that overcast days are so tough because there are no shadows to hide in. And it's really, really easy for birds to pick you out. So obviously a snow day is going to be overcast day. Yeah, there might be, you know, snow kind of brightens the landscape, but it's still going to be overcast. So do you think it's still hard to hide in on a snowy day especially like in a snowstorm or do you think just that amount of snow being in the sky kind of makes the birds um less wary and they're not looking as much i think it i think it depends on how heavy the snow is and if you've got wind with it if it's a windy snowy day and these birds are looking 
for a sheltered area and you're sitting there, you could just sit on the side of the bank probably and shoot them. If mm-hmm. it's kind of just like a light snow, hardly any wind, they might circle and circle and circle. And actually, I've hunted days like that where there's hardly any wind and just a really light snow overcast in an A-frame. And they'll pick out that dark hole, like if you don't have it brushed up. So um, I'd, I'd want snow and wind, personally, unless I have an immaculate hide. So it sounds like tomorrow my hide should just be standing out in the middle of the spread. Yeah, I I mean, if if it's a great day, hide is really irrelevant if you're on the X. Like if you if you got a spot where you know they want to be and the weather's crappy and they're looking to get out of it, it, it don't take much. I mean, you could you might be able to stand out there and, and it probably would be fun. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to lay out of the kayak, but kind of the reason I was asking that is I don't have my kayak brushed up right now. So I don't, I'm trying to think if I should go through the work of going and getting a bed sheet and making a snow cover out of that, or if I should just try and basically tuck into somewhere that looks kind of natural as a dark blob. I'd, I'd just tuck in if I were you. If you have any white camo, or just even white, like if you got a white sweatshirt, white hat, um, you know, that, that helps a lot. And you can mix it in with your camo. Like as long as you got your upper body part and then like your head kind of mixed, you know, kind of white, if assuming there's snow on the ground, then it'll really break your form up. Yeah. I'm planning on laying out, out of the kayak tomorrow is what I meant by that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get a snow cover for the kayak. I don't think I am. I think I'm hoping that I'm going to get set up early enough tomorrow where the snow will kind of sit on my kayak cover. I'm going to just unroll the cover and hopefully I'll get a little bit of natural snow that might, you know, I might knock it off as I'm going to retrieve birds and stuff like that. Unfortunately, not going to have a dog tomorrow. Um, but I think, I think, 25 like you said 25 miles an hour and snow and i can't imagine these birds are going to be looking too hard no and i'm sure you know i don't know where you're hunting or anything but there might be a tree or cattails or something you could tuck into if you really had to too yeah there's gonna be cattails it's just the place is a bog so like i made the mistake i hunted there a week ago and i got out on land and absolutely the the worst boggy stuff i guess i've ever been in i've been in worse mud but this stuff especially because it's gonna be freezing in the morning what happened when i hunted a week ago is it froze over the top so i'd walk over it for like a minute or two and then i'd break through and when i wait broke through i went up to my crotch or higher so yeah i don't want to get back into that stuff so i'm just going to take the kayak find somewhere that's at least half decent and go with that so here's another weather scenario late season for you it's been really cold. It's probably the last week of January. Could be the first couple of weeks of February, depending where your goose season is. And it's 70 degrees, south winds. These days, reverse migration days. You get those geese coming back up from Kansas, the south, whatever. Had great luck hunting those. Not so much for ducks. I, haven't, I can't really say that I've experienced a reverse migration day for ducks but hmm. I know I have for Canada geese and obviously snow geese, although I guess that's just the spring migration, if you really want to call it that. Um, but Canada geese in particular, if you get a like a thaw after it being super cold and you get some south winds, get some migrators coming back up from the south early, 
that can be really good late season hunting. Yeah. That's interesting because I'm in the opposite boat. I've never really seen a big reverse migration for geese, um, but I have for ducks. In Virginia, the one year where we got north of the ice line, we were north, we, we were froze up for about two weeks, and then we thawed out right about mid-January, and it was absolutely crazy. Like our swamps had had three, four, five inches of ice in them, and as soon as the water, as soon as there was open water on the swamps again, the swamps were as loaded as I have ever seen them just because the birds had been on the big water and like i said our birds don't really field feed so they're just looking for food sources on water and the swamps are mostly where the food sources are so i've seen it there and then i've also seen a little bit out in texas don't think i'm going to see it in minnesota unfortunately probably a little (laughs) bit too far north no no you're about ready to uh, grab a nice dogger up there that sounds like so yeah i bet people will be ice fishing up here on saturday I don't know anything about ice fishing, so I could be way early on that. But I know people always talk about early ice up here and how early ice is the best. So I'd imagine some of the smaller water bodies will have at least two, three, four inches of ice on them by Saturday. They say four inches will hold a adult man. And then obviously... See, I've heard two before. I I think four is the safety recommendation. Um, I I don't know. There's a chart that that always goes out in like well about this time of the year and it shows like for atvs and utvs and um trucks and everything but yeah yeah, no ice fishing it's fun if you're up there i would try to tag along with someone if they have an ice fishing shack (laughs) yeah i think i am on the wind and stuff but yeah go catch some walleye and perch yeah then they do the pike spearing up here too they spear northern pike so i really want to try that you've got to make a film of that i want to that looks so fun. And pike yeah. is really good to eat, too. I love yeah. pike. Very, very underrated fish. I mean, they're kind of a pain to clean, but they're just as good as any any oh, other yeah. freshwater fish. Just a few Y-bones is all, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to try it. I, what I was telling a couple of people is I think if I got into ice fishing for, like, an entire season, I just think I'd turn into an alcoholic. Like, everybody I know, too, everybody... <laughs> Everybody who I've talked to about ice fishing, like, yeah, we grab a case of beer, we go out ice fishing, and we sit there and we just pop them and, you know, catch fish. It's like, I mean, that sounds like a really good time to me. I can't imagine I wouldn't want to go get a case of beer if I'm, you know, not drive. If I'm going out ice fishing, I'm not the one driving. So, um, yeah, I think my liver might not like it well, too I much if I like some of the shacks have like beds and stoves and stuff in them. Even. Oh yeah. They're all yeah, I'm checked actually, out, so like you don't even have to go anywhere. Yeah, I'm actually going to try and get down to uh, one of Corey's buddies' places down in southern Minnesota. Hopefully, they'll still be hunting here about a week or so. I'm going to try to get down there, and he told me I can stay in his ice castle is what they call it. It has like four beds, a heater, a TV. Like They just take oh, this man. thing out on these lakes and just stay out there for extended periods of time, which sounds awesome. Like These guys go hard for ice fishing we should actually do a whole ice fishing podcast and get someone on from up here um but like they have these things called snow bears which are like basically tracked machines that go out on the snow like almost like a little bus deal that goes out on the or goes out on the ice i mean they have all sorts of stuff so pretty wild nice yeah no i definitely want to see some ice fishing content coming out here from up there some pike pike spearing and uh hopefully you just catching some big old football sized perch and whatnot 
But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I like I said, I want to do it just because it's something new and different. But I'm there's no way I'm going to be able to watch you just keep on stacking green while I'm up here froze out. Like I'll, I can probably do about a week of freeze out, and then I'm going to be heading down and sleeping on your couch. So you can hey, expect that before too. Come on long. down anytime, buddy. <laughs> uh, no, I think. Well. Uh, I think we got this kind of pretty much beat. I don't – I've actually got a list for late season uh, tips here for a video I never made. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, actually, no, I probably had that same list somewhere too, and I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, I One, think we kind of hit everything there. So. Yeah, I think we covered that pretty good. One thing I will throw in is uh, – well, both of us have been posting a lot of videos recently, so if you all haven't – checked out um our channels my channels hoke outdoors matt's is high prairie sportsman and uh, i just posted a new video today that i actually did a giveaway on so if you want to head over there all you got to do is like the video and leave a comment on it and i'm going to be giving away one of the stamp it for drc squeaker tweakers we did a little limited run of them like 20 25 calls so i uh decided to buy one i was actually just going to throw it on my lanyard because i thought it was a really cool engraving but the more i was thinking about the more i was like eh, give it to someone who might not have the opportunity to get one so uh, yeah, doing that giveaway over there, and that'll pro- probably run it for about a week or so. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to have to go drop a comment now, I guess, over there. Yeah, it's a sweet call. The thing, especially, I mean, you get lessers in your area. The squeaker tweaker is a lesser call. I actually use it all the time for honkers just because it's just a little bit of a different sound, and I can blow it a little bit quicker than I can my honker call. Um, but, yeah, you got the lessers down there to use it on. Yeah, see, I actually, so I'll switch. I Like, I carry my speckle belly call with me, and then I've got, you know, my regular goose call, too. Um, but I'll switch up to my spec call because it's high pitch. Like, I'll try to imitate a Canada goose honk with my speckle belly call and get that high pitch. And, it, like, on the cacklers and the lessers, it'll it'll work somewhat. So I can't say, you know, and I'm not going to say I'm the greatest goose caller. I'm not even going to say I'm a good goose caller. So... <laughs> But it, it it gets their attention, I guess. Yep. So. All right. Well, I think we both got to be up early tomorrow, Thomas. Hopefully we can. Uh, yeah. What time are you shoot, getting up? Shoot some limits. Let's see. What time is. Uh, oh, I don't even know what five, time shooting time is. I haven't hunted since the time change. I've got five about five hours from now. I'll You're getting up at like. You're getting up at one o'clock your time. No. Later yeah, now. five hours from now would be one o'clock. No, it's eight o'clock my time right now. Yeah, so five oh. hours from eight o'clock <laughs> would be one o'clock. Oh, I obviously I need some sleep, so <laughs> no, no, I'll be getting up in six hours. Sorry, sorry, six hours from now. But uh, wow, two o'clock still. You're not even having to drive through snow. I think I'm driving through snow, and I'm going to get up later than you, which is probably going against one of the points you just made about 30 minutes ago. But yeah, I'm going to double my commute time from typical. So hopefully it doesn't take me three times as long or something like that, or else I'll probably be setting up after shooting time. Okay, I'm going to break this down real quick, though. So I'm going to set my alarm for like probably another two hours after from what time I'll actually wake up. But I know is I'm gonna be so excited because when I when when it's like an awesome migration day coming through, 
I cannot sleep, and I'll be up at like two or one, and I'll just be like, I'm just gonna go to the marsh, and <laughs> go out there. I'll work on my hide, and I'll just sit there and listen to the birds or uh, take a nap or something. But it's like I, I've done that so many times, where it's like, oh, I can sleep into this time, and still, you know, still have uh, plenty of time to set up and everything. It's like, nope, you wake up two, three hours early. Yeah, get back to sleep. Guess I'll just go out. <laughs> I'm anticipating that's what's going to happen tomorrow morning. Yeah, that's fair. I'll probably be somewhere in the same boat as you. Yeah. All righty. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, drop the any comments or recommendations for future podcast topics in the Facebook group. I guess we probably should plug that. The Foul Front podcast group over on Facebook. We've got, I think we're up over 2000 people in there now. So we got some, some discussion happening and uh, hopefully it can grow it really big. But yeah, if you guys have any topics you want to hear or you want to tell us this thing sucks, just drop a comment over there and <laughs> we'll read it one way or the other, but thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. See ya.